What's up? You're listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon Podcast. As always, I'm Thomas Irwin. I have a very cool dude on the show for this week, David Brimer, a, uh, well, a jazz guitarist, but not just a jazz guitarist. He can pretty much play any style. Uh, David Brimer is from Tampa, Florida. He is a totally professional musician. He's gigging all the time, either solo or with his uh, trio. And um, he has a very interesting career history as he uh, gets into. Um, at a very young age, he was picked up by Jackson Brown in L.A. and uh, was doing big gigs and also played with the likes of Michael McDonald. Uh, he ended up in the Hanson Band, uh, if you remember that song, Mbop, from the 90s. Uh, he was dropped from Hanson but then kind of uh, picked up the pieces afterward to form his own um, solo career. He has a ton of releases out in the last few years. Uh, he's got one coming very soon called In My Bones. Uh, he's, he's just got a lot of interesting stories and uh, very cool to connect with him. So let's just get into it. are you are you gigging out are you trying to get out pretty much uh every night of the week um i actually uh i do it for a living so i do it like five nights a week all over the state and i even um will travel out of state and i also sometimes pick up gigs as a sideman um for touring and whatnot like a buddy of mine says the best way to do it is keep it really diversified so you never know what somebody's gonna need next yeah and the more you can do the better so are you most often um performing like uh by yourself or do you have a regular band um it's sort of 50 50 uh i have a really great band a really great trio that's extremely uh, versatile mm. but a lot of times the gigs will not be big enough for a full band so I have to do solo gigs. I have to do duo gigs in order to keep the money flow going. The band is sort of my ideal, and I'm I'm trying to work it to where most of the gigs are with them. We make more money that mm. way, more popular that way. So kind of, I imagine people pay more attention when it's more lively atmosphere. They do, and uh, they also um, they like our. Um, stage presence we're very mm. um we're just we improvise a lot and we're also all have a pretty good sense of humor so we keep it really lively in between songs and we have bits and stuff that have kind of grown organically just because ah. we're all not afraid to make fools out of ourselves and mm -hmm. make fools out of people in the audience um I think all three of us have kind of a sardonic sense of humor, so um, it, it makes it fun. When you're gigging like 150 to 175 gigs a year, it's sometimes you gotta gotta keep it fresh. I imagine. Yeah, you gotta make it fun. But I love those guys; they're great. Yeah, I think definitely most of the best live shows I've seen, um, the performers always going to have some some good stories or some good banter with their bandmates in between the songs. It's almost as important as the songs themselves. Well, like, we've gotten known lately for the fact that we do um, 
TV theme songs that um, <laughs> like we'll do the Family Matters theme song or Golden Girls or, uh-huh. or you know, and we'll just break right into them. Um, and we also, on some of these gigs are three or four hours long, so some of them, some of the times, my drummer and my bass player will have to go use the bathroom, and I have a song that I play when they go to the bathroom, which is essentially a, uh, yeah, like an oompa country thing, you know, go boom, 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 tick, yeah. boom, tick, boom, and it's just about how we're waiting for them to go pee, and I usually just make it up off the top of my head, and people go nuts for that stuff. That's pretty funny. <laughs> So that's uh, yourself on guitar? Yes, and um, I'm and, the lead um, singer. And you're singing as well? But we all sing. Um, my bass player, Mike Richards, is actually a, a world-renowned uh, drum and bass DJ. Oh, and he, it's kind of unusual. He, yeah, it is unusual, but he's also a, an extremely talented jazz-influenced um, bass player. And uh, my drummer has a better voice than I do and is just uh, too shy to sing more songs but um, uh, he's also got the most enviable groove of anyone around here people want to poach him off me all the time because they love the way he plays but what they don't know is that he's been my best friend since we were in our teens so it's it's uh, um, <laughs> the, the groove yeah. is strong yeah so you can claim ownership of the groove mm-hmm so you gig professionally around Florida, and I imagine to a larger extent that whole region of the country. Are you uh, you tour as well? Yeah, tour. I actually haven't toured this year. For the first time in a few years, I haven't been on the road. But last year, I went out on the road for six weeks with a blues singer named Gina Cecilia, just playing guitar, and we went all over the country. Um, wow. And uh, I got my start... As a young guy, touring and playing with artists of all different types of stature, so hmm. I don't do that anymore. But uh, and I don't miss that either. <laughs> it's it's a lot better to do it on your own. Is that uh, constant touring lifestyle? Is that more of a young man's game, probably? Yeah, and it didn't even agree with me as a young man. Um, it's a it's such a um, dog eat dog world because there's only so many gigs and it has nothing to do with how talented you are it has everything to do with who you know what you look like and you know if you can fill a certain niche yeah and certain demand and then throw a bunch of luck and uncontrollable factors into that mix too it's funny though i have a few friends that i went to school with at a Musicians Institute in Hollywood, who were in my class, um, who are, you know, my age or a little older, who are still out doing it, and they've got really great gigs with really great artists who seem to treat them well. And uh, mm. But there's only, like, a handful out of right. hundreds of <laughs> yeah. kids. There's only so many people like that out there. Yeah. So yeah. So is uh, Los Angeles kind of where you got your start professionally? You moved out there. Yeah, I moved out there from um, Hollywood or uh, from Tampa in 2005, I think. For yeah, 2005, um, to go to MI and to get a gig. That was my whole goal, purpose, and yeah, get things going. Um, I got 
I got a gig with Jackson Brown within a year, and that was sort of my launching point. Wow, within a year yeah. of moving it, over it, there. Wow. It was like the second or third audition I did. Um, and uh, what's cool about that is I got I got to play with a lot of people through him. And mm. more importantly, I still get to see him and, you know, I still know him and I know people that are in his band and every time he comes through town, it's always nice to go and um, know that I'm a friend, which is cool because I didn't play with him for all that long and I was a young kid when I did it. And uh, right. But it's just cool to know that someone of his giant stature is... Uh, doesn't forget the small yeah, people. You're, you're on his radar. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't forget the, the, the small people. Yeah, that's really cool. So, you know, not too, too long into your foray there, you were, um, you were in the, uh, the network, so to speak, I guess. You, you were able to play pretty consistently and collaborate with all these, these talented people pretty early on. I mean, for a little while. Um, it was, uh, to, to be cliche, it was a whirlwind. Is it all? Oh, it, well, I can only imagine. It, it yeah. all happened in a, a very small time period, um, but uh, you know, there there's these great flashing moments of being on stage with Jackson Brown and Bonnie Raitt and Graham Nash uh, at the Warfield Auditorium in San Francisco. That was that was a huge highlight. I remember calling my buddy after that and saying that I could die. <laughs> that I had, you, I had done it. it. Like, it was, That's it. How, how how do you beat that? Um, the and what's funny is the picture that I took with Graham Nash backstage. The look on my face is that. It's just this like <laughs> I can't believe this just happened. Like you won a contest. Yeah, and uh, I got to do that kind of sort of thing again with Michael McDonald and Graham uh, and uh, Jackson, which was cool. But. Uh, Ooh. You know, Michael it's, McDonald is a class act. I love his uh, both his songwriting and his vocals. He must have been a really cool musician to play with. I, you know, he only sang a song with us, but um, he was a really cool dude. He, all those guys were really cool. It's funny the, yeah. the younger the younger pop stars that I played with were a lot less approachable than these guys who are all you know in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's it's very oh. it's very interesting the dichotomy of that. I mean, well, they, they like have the undeniable chops and I don't know, sometimes it gets murky with, with modern artists, what's going on there, but, uh, and they're all, they're also probably pretty secure. Like they've kind of gotten their, uh, their legacy and they're pretty comfortable just, you know, continuing to do what they love. So And still open to play with young musicians, which is. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. Is still happening, thankfully. Yeah. Um, there's just not as many young musicians. So, um, how long did you end up playing out in uh, California? Uh, how did that kind of play out? I don't think I made it to four years, somewhere around three and a half. And I, I took a long sabbatical from playing. It was a couple of years I didn't play any gigs or anything. Just sort of had to had to get away from it all because um, mm. I had been fired from the band Hanson, uh, which was a huge gig touring the world. Is that the Mbop? Yes, yeah. Band? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it was the highest paying gig I ever had, and I, I acted like a, you know, an idiot because I was twenty um, and I didn't. You, know, I, you were only twenty. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's that kind of 
puts things in perspective a little bit more. So you, you have this almost kind of immediate wave of all this uh, excitement in, in meeting these these kind of titans yeah. of music. And wait, so you're still, are you old enough to drink? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm 33 now, so we're we're talking a long time so, ago. But Yeah, I back so then. I mean, that's going to be, that would be a weird thing for like a 27-year-old to navigate. And you're taking this on like while you're still in college. Yeah, so. it was weird. It, but it wasn't I never felt like I was out of place or anything like that. It was everything that right, I right. I wanted to um achieve. Um and I just wanted to be part of it. But the thing yeah. the thing with Hansen was that um I overplayed, I know that. Okay. But I didn't know that I was overplaying when I did it. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't like I was deliberately trying to to show off. I was just a young hotshot and they said do a guitar yeah. solo, and I did what I thought was a good guitar solo, which at that time included, you know, tapping and all kinds of uh, show, basically bringing, you know, massive amounts of attention to myself. And um, right. that's not what you're supposed to do in that gig. And a guitar solo for a Hanson song, that's a very carved out, limited, like, it's a, that's, <laughs> you got to wrap that up in a bow. That's That's not a wilder kind of. Yeah, rock and roll thing. To I guess. put it in perspective, toward the end of my tenure, um, Isaac turned back to me during that point, and he's like, "Play a little bluesier," which I think was his polite way of saying, "Don't show off so much." Yeah, kind of get back to basics. Yeah, and I think I tried. I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's been so long, and I I was a, a, a much conceited young man. You know, I, I have no. No qualms about admitting that now, because I, I grew up in a small town where I was the best guitar player around. Yeah, I went yeah. to Hollywood knowing I had, was top shit, and uh, all I did was screw up and, um, <laughs> you know. Like, well, I mean, how could you not at, at that age and just that kind of whirlwind of new stuff coming at you, that experience? I mean, it's uh, probably inevitable someone's going to go through uh, a learning curve there. Yeah. So well, might might as well have it happen. Um, you know, at that that early in your career, and kind of learn from that, right? Right. I mean, it's what's funny about it now is that instead of it being this kind of career milestone, with everything I've done in the last five or six years, it's what it's become is it's become the great. Hey, here's my buddy David's story. You know, all of my friends tell it now. Because they they just love the fact that I got fired from Hanson, they just can't get over the fact that that actually happened. And who's I mean who's who's gonna not want to know that story? It's just, <laughs> um, and and you know it's no one's great, impressed. Everybody loves an origin story. No one's impressed that I toured with them. It's like how did you get fired from them? <laughs> well, at least it was. It sounds like it was just for creative differences. I don't know. They sent me an email. Said that your services are no longer needed, so uh, <laughs> I've had to uh, to guesstimate for a decade as to what the real reason was why I got fired. Um, yeah, well, that stuff. Yeah, who's ever gonna know? Well, it doesn't matter anymore. It, it doesn't. But you know, I'm I'm glad that they they weren't bad, and I'm glad they gave me the yeah. opportunity. I got to go to Europe, and you know, yeah. I got some great stories. 
but they were the last pro gig I had, and that was out there eleven yeah. years ago. So, so you kind of fell out from that, and what? So were you kind of in a place where like ah, I'm kind of getting burnt out on this? Maybe I'll regroup, go back to. I don't know what what was your transition from that to more what you're uh, doing now. Um, well, I wouldn't call it burnout as much as um, depression and like um, distraught, not knowing what to do. Right, you're you're kind of riding this wave, and once it subsides, you're kind of you're not used to dealing with that uncertainty at that time. I didn't have a a, a back uh, like or let me what's the word I'm looking for. I didn't know how to get a gig when you didn't have one. I didn't know how to grind it out because um, yeah. I was just too young and I, I didn't know how to grind anything out. All I knew how to do was smoke weed and wine. <laughs> you know, that was that was what I did. So I moved back to Florida and I spent several years. I met a girl. I moved back to the West Coast. I lived in Nevada and Oregon for three years oh. i didn't play any gigs at all during that time period um but i started recording music again in like 2011 okay. 2012 and just sort of getting my feet wet when i moved back here to florida again in uh, 2013 um i recorded a couple of things which i have since removed from the internet for everyone's you know better <laughs> betterment they were for everyone's benefit yeah. they were essentially first stabs at what i wanted as a recording artist but i didn't quite know the trials and tribulations of making drums sound good or mm. mixing stuff the right way but eventually i found my my rhythm and i got my home studio really working well um and you know the gig sort of I started gigging out with a band just for fun, and then I, I mm. found this other band that was really, really good and made money, and I played with them for a little while and realized that I could do it myself and make even more money, yeah. and that was, I don't know, five years ago, and that's where we are now. So you went from you know being a session player out in Hollywood, you know, you'd be ready to, to try anything, do anything kind of a jack-of-all-trades to um, kind of have more of an identity now as your own artist. You, you're your own guy kind of with, with uh, what you're doing in music. So how did you figure out what kind of music you wanted to make for yourself or what, what were kind of the determining factors there? Well, I mean, I don't know because... Just trial and error, I guess, seeing what no, was fun to do. No, because the, I always end up with an idea. Uh, you know that I want the album to be one thing, and that I want my. I knew right off the bat that me as an artist, uh, as a recording artist, I was not going to be able to be pigeonholed because I had my fingers in mm. so many different genres because I love so many different yeah, styles yeah. of music. Um, but I knew that the first thing that I was going to make was going to was going to be a really progressive rock album, something um, that's epic and bold and uncompromising something where i sit in a studio for six months and i just craft out the best thing that i can do and so my first you know official record is uh that it's like six songs two of them are are almost 20 minutes long it's got 
a lot of elements of jazz fusion in it, which I always mm. skirt that. Um, yeah. But I think if you look at my uh, my recording career, it's like there's going to be a progressive rock or more accessible song-oriented album followed up by a jazz album. And, you know, my most successful stuff is the stuff that's much more straight-ahead um, jazz with uh, less emphasis on um, rock music, you know? Yeah. Or less uh, vocally led. Yeah. Uh, it's funny how my instrumental music gets a lot more streams than my vocal music. Um, it, it kind of explains why there's not so much vocal music out there. Yeah, it's music. It's weird. I'm I'm kind of, because uh, I normally write sort of Beatles-y, sort of indie pop songs and chord progressions, melodies, harmony, but I'm kind of dipping my toes into um, making instrumental tracks as well. And it's like the the demand out there for background music mm -hmm. where it's it's like setting a tone but you're not really engaging with it actively it's like you're kind of you know what it's going to sound like before you play it sort of thing yeah. um yeah it's just interesting how seeing that that is a real like it's really easy to make music for a purpose like custom fit it rather than try to bring listeners to your own like uh, creative world and if you can if you can do it without having to bother any other musicians and get them to take their time to record other parts you can get stuff done you know yeah like, well thankfully I, I can do that in in any <laughs> just by virtue of uh being handy with the software and playing a midi keyboard recording vocals myself i'm pretty happy with recording everything depending on the song but it is it is awesome to have that freedom nowadays isn't it with home studio and I um I ha I have mixed feelings about that I mean um yes I I absolutely love the fact that I can do what I always dreamed of doing which is locking myself into my room turning on the recorder and just doing whatever comes to mind no matter what it is yeah. and really experimenting cuz a lot of my recordings come from a drum track I will go into my room um, and have I'll press play and I'll play a song in my head, and it might even be like like a written song, someone else's song that I'm just playing to in my head, um, and I'll do that two or three times, and then the next day or so I'll go back and I'll listen to those drum tracks and I'll build something around those drum tracks because I will have no idea what it was I was listening to in my head when I recorded it. So uh, there's no chance that I'm going to rewrite the song. Um, but it allows me to do this dream that I've always had, which is improvising with myself. Mm. So that's a lot of... I have an album called Hand Signals, and that album is almost 90% me improvising with myself. Wow. Um, and it's just track by track, improvising with whatever's there. And as long as the drums are the first thing, it's pretty easy. So you do the drums, and then you do the keyboards, which layer the harmonic overtone. The bass can come in after that and follow whatever it is that I've improvised with the keyboard, and then just go from there. So, yeah, total creative freedom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't break the bank. You don't have to live in the industry town. You don't have to live in Los Angeles. This is something you can do back in, 
in your hometown of Florida. What do you what do you feel are the downsides of this uh, paradigm here? I miss in the music industry the fact that you know in the old days professionals were the only ones who had who recorded people. So mm. um, so you'd only hear it if somebody who knew what they were doing was behind yeah. it. And um, yeah. all of these crappy artists who only exist because we live in a world where someone with no talent can make records and put it out there and people who don't have an ear for talent think it's good, none of that would exist. None of it. Because, you know, someone like Post Malone would go into a recording studio and the guys behind the engineering desk would be going, I I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this guy. He's just terrible. What do we do with him? Yeah, it's it's like what happened? Did the technology change, or did like people's standards and tastes also change? Like, is it the audience or the? Uh... I mean, we could go into a whole thing about the dumbing down of American culture, but that's what it is. It's the dumbing down uh, of the culture. Yeah, I mean, we we certainly could go into a rabbit hole there, but it is interesting. Just like um, I'll listen to plenty of modern music, but obviously, a lot of the other music I love is is of uh, you know way before I was born, and. Um, yeah, the standards and the uh, the professionalism just of, of any given project, especially once you go like before the 80s. It's really, I, I don't think people <laughs> realize as often as they should, um, yeah, just what was going on there and kind of, you, you want, you'd want that energy and that uh, ability in modern music too. You don't want to lose that. No, you don't. You don't want to. Like as much as I love being able to go into the studio and and do it myself, um, I miss that going into the studio with all the other members of the band and yeah, working with the team, working together. So uh, it, it's double-edged sword. Yeah, it is. It's it's the kind of thing. It'll never go back to the way it is. So I should probably not lament and just find a way to to make it work with what we have now and beautiful thing is yeah. is my other guys and my band are both professionally trained audio engineers so <laughs> like we got between the three of us we've got more than enough than we would ever need and um, got your bases covered unfortunately we haven't actually recorded anything yet too busy gigging but you know we'll get there hmm. what is um your favorite aspects of uh doing music professionally like um is performing your your favorite thing, or are you like getting behind the computer and arranging everything together? Or what what really is the most uh, creatively satisfying for you? Would you say? Oh, I, I would say um, arranging tracks. It's by far and away the most creatively energizing thing I do. I'd say the least creatively energizing thing I do is perform. I love it and I perform well, um, but it's performing for me is work. And I don't mean it in like mm. a, a a negative way because I do love it. Yeah. But I'm working for tips. I'm working for people's attention. I'm, I'm I get a whole different kind of of satisfaction. It has nothing yeah. really to do with my musicality because I know that's there. Every once in a while, yeah. we'll have a gig where we step back it's and we're like, "Whoa, we played really well." But um, you know, we're we're used to being a really tight band that's really got all everything working so you know we're only ever really kind of taken aback if we suck or if we're like playing outside ourselves 
Um, mm. So a lot more of my focus is being uh, energetic and lively and getting people's attention and, and, and trying to have a good show, being more of an entertainer and not so much a musician. Yeah. So I, I get much more musical enjoyment from uh, creating in the studio and, and creating music and, and um, experimenting. Being being like Frank Zappa and just um, I can't tell you how many times I've recorded a song, sat on it for a long time, wiped everything but the drums, taken the drums, sat on it for a little while, wrote something completely different on top of those drums, and that becomes you know the best song on the record. It, it's hmm. uh, I guess one of the few beauties of being able to work in that regard. You know the drums aren't going to have any bleed. So they're not going to sound like anything except themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're you're very fastidious about that whole process. You, I imagine you're pretty prolific too. It's something you're. I, com, what I make compared to what I actually release is probably, I'd say fifty percent of it makes it to the public. Wow. Maybe less, but um, yeah, I I go through a long process of um. First mix, listen, 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 listen. Second mix, listen, 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 listen. Get comfortable with it. Put it away. Come back to it. Listen again. Hate it. Remix it. Make it perfect. And then say the hell with it and send it yeah. off. Why the, the working on the singles thing this year has been kind of refreshing because I'm only literally doing um, one song, which is a lot easier to focus on. Yeah. As opposed to nine or ten or more. Yeah, one song at a time, kind of a different concept each time. Exactly, and radically different, too. So it's a nice way to explore and not feel like you're wasting too much if it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, lower commitment. Cool. Well, what are you um, most excited about coming up? What's what's uh, on the horizon? Well, I've got a new studio album coming out in December that I'm really excited about. Um, I didn't know that I was going to release it. I This has probably been the most arduous album because it started out as something completely different. Hmm. Um, it was supposed to come out in the summer, and it was supposed to be a straight ahead jazz album and i mean it had it has tracks on it that are like 1930s style jazz music um so so you got some jazz, 30s jazz influence in there it's so it's really it's pretty big uh scope it, not not so much big but just a varied kind of but but jazz album and um i balked on it and i i took it out of um release and um thought you know i'm just going to focus on these few singles because i wasn't getting the kind of response that i wanted i inevitably worked on a couple of songs in the summer which were the last things that i've actually recorded this year um besides a few newer singles but these were like really strong pieces of music that i couldn't deny and so what happened was that I just formed the album around those songs and I filled in the gaps with the best stuff that I liked from the album that I took out of circulation and I remixed it all and um, there's a lot that's going to sit on the editing floor but there's nine songs that are coming out um, and I'd say 
three or four of them are some of the best stuff I personally have ever done. Um, I, I just love them. And it's a very varied album. It's not uh, any one yeah. thing. It's eclectic. It's very eclectic. It's got two vocal songs on it that are very um, progressive rock influenced. And then the stuff in the middle it ranges everything from Duke Ellington to Santana to uh, Return to Forever to uh, mm. uh, uh, Bossa Nova. Yeah. Just everything in between. Um, so it's 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 a patchwork, which is fine. There's a long, varied album tradition of the patchwork album, but yeah. I just felt like it was stuff that needed to be out there. I don't have any. And it's real... kind of a summation of all your biggest musical strengths or your favorite. Yeah, stuff maybe. To play like, uh, it's definitely going to be enjoyed by someone who doesn't mind radical shifts in genre, but it all still sounding similar. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it. You can tell it's done by the same artist, even though it's shifting from a um, Latin vibe to a 30s jazz vibe, which it does between two tracks that are right next to each other. Just just a, a, I don't know. I didn't think that much into this one. Once I realized that I was going to do it the way I was going to do it, yeah. I was just like, Screw it. It's a it's a patchwork. It doesn't have to do anything. There's no expectations. Right. Don't rein it in too much. What's it uh, going to be called? It's called In My Bones. In My Bones. Is there a um, larger kind of thematic element at play? The title track, which is um, 13 minutes long and was recorded like December of last year. It's one of the first things I recorded for whatever I was... In this this wave of recordings, before I had an idea of what album I was going to make, I did this track. It was just sort of a standalone, and it was it's very very influenced by early King Crimson. Mm. Um, so <clears throat> it's it's a story song, and um, it's about a guy who's lost in the desert. One of the taglines is in my bones. So it just sort of seemed like a strong, short little title to work. The original title for the album was Sophisticated Stranger, and that song is still on there. And I like that title, but I didn't think that it fit with the overall. Mm. It doesn't have the same kind of late night jazz club vibe that it had when it was called Sophisticated Stranger. Right. That might be one of the stronger songs on the album. I wouldn't be surprised if people pick up on that one. Hmm. So December, uh, specific date in December yet? Uh, 20th. 20th. Okay, right before uh, all the holidays. Yep, exactly. When people have money and they've paid up on their Spotify accounts. Yeah. Cool. I'll be on the lookout for that. Yeah, That's it's, it's um, for those who like eclectic music... Uh, I think it'll be uh, worth their time. Sweet. Well, your style is definitely one. Eclectic is one of the the first words I would use. Very <laughs> music, strong musicality, and uh, you're willing to play in a lot of different styles. It's the only way I could be. You know, I, I'd I'd feel weird if I wasn't able to. Like I just finished working on a really strong country song that uh, I'm probably just going to keep as a standalone. But it just it came out, 
You know, yeah. I'm not going to stop it. Exactly. You just you go with the flow with with songwriting, especially. It's you can't uh, overthink too much or analyze. No, no, you can't, or you'll uh, you'll end up um, sabotaging yourself. Yeah, and I've done that. I've done that plenty of times. Well, I definitely look forward to to hearing the uh, fruits of your labor there. And again, David, thanks for for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. It was a nice chat. All right, so I'm back. Um, still a little sick with a cold, but definitely getting better. Yeah, David was a really nice guy, really fun. I uh, He's got so much music out there. I'm excited to uh, dig more into it. But um, as he was saying, In My Bones, that's coming out very soon, later this year. I will uh, leave you off with a tune off of that called Tulum. And until next time.